0: Pete Rose, one of the best in baseball, but banned from his sport for betting on the game he managed and eventually losing his bid for the Hall of Fame.
1: If you think that if I went to the Hall of Fame, I'm the only guy there with a skeleton in my closet, uh, I think you're pissing up a rope. Rose details why he did it. I needed something extra. I lost the edge of getting those at-bats. Admits he regrets it happened. If I had my whole life to go over again, I'd change one thing. I wouldn't have bet on baseball but contends it's time to move on. Get over it, it happened.
0: I didn't break up the Beatles, okay, I didn't shoot JFK. All that's coming up next right here on the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. How do you feel about making errors on the ball field? Well,
1: physical errors uh, are are part of the game. I mean, you're, you're gonna miss balls uh... you're gonna make bad throws you beat yourself up about it yeah, pretty bad yeah, well yeah uh, i did but uh, because i always thought you were leaving the pitcher down when you made errors uh... but uh... mental errors are not part of the game you know to throw the wrong base or uh... to get thrown out third to start the inning off or get thrown out of second start the inning off that's just bad baseball you know i didn't make many mental errors uh, and uh... and everybody makes physical errors although you know i people don't know this about me but i got the highest Fielding average in the history of baseball for outfielders. I mean, you didn't even know that. No. You know everything about me. <laughs> and you didn't even know that. So, you know, you, because there's two phases of the game of baseball or sports in general, okay? One is offense, and the other is defense. And when you got a bat in your hand, you worry about offense. And when you got a glove in your hand, you worry about defense. In other words, you strike out with bases loaded and two outs in the bottom of the ninth in a high game. Don't take it out to play defense, take your glove out to play defense. And you know, I always pitchers are trying to make money too. They got families too, and and when you make errors, you, you let them down. I mean, people were, people who were around me could never tell if I got four hits in a game, but they could tell when I made an error that it cost us the game because I, I took that I took that away from the ballpark with me uh, more so than if I struck out. You know, because you're going to strike out, you're going to make errors, but, but uh, I, I didn't like to make errors. I, 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 didn't like, I, liked, I was a perfectionist. I didn't like to make errors. But I made them. Everybody makes them. I've seen Willie Mays make an
0: error. In addition to errors, how did you feel about losing?
1: Oh, losing sucks. I mean, you know, I mean, that's, of all the records I have, the, 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 the proudest record is 1972 winning games. That's more winning games than anybody in the history of sports. You play the game to win. And, uh, you know, you get in trouble sometimes when you tell kids this, but not to the standpoint that you're a sore loser, but, you know, I've, I've been in situations, Graham, where we just won a World Series, and the guy we beat is in our clubhouse congratulating us. I couldn't do that. I could, if I played against Tony Perez and he won a World Series and I was, you know, great friends with him, I would call him the next day to congratulate him, but I'm not going to go be part of his celebration. Because I'm going to sit and analyze why we lost that game, where if the situation comes up the next time, we will win the game and we won't lose the game. And that's just part of me that's a professional athlete for 24 years as a player. You know, if, 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 if you take losing in stride, you're never going to be a good professional athlete. You might be a good money earner because you're a good player, but I don't want you on my team. I want, I want players who care about winning. You know, because uh, uh, I don't care who's watching you and I talk right now, if they got kids that are Little League players, okay, they feel better. I'm talking about mom and dad. They feel better if their kid got a base hit to win the game in a Little League game on the way home. The food tastes better. The phone call to grandma and grandpa is better, as opposed to striking out and going 0 for 4. You know, when I was a kid, if we lost a game, my dad wouldn't even stop to eat. You had to earn that food. OK, so if we went into a prolonged slump, it was
0: almost like going to Jenny Craig. <laughs> <laughs> when you were at the Reds at this point, you were playing the Phillies this game, you step into the batter box and you're shocked because the catcher is telling you the pitches, the pitchers. Oh, is going Ryan. to throw. Oh, Mike Ryan. Yeah, Mike Ryan. Well, what, what happened is uh, uh, even, my,
1: even my career statistics, uh, I think I, I had my highest career batting average either against Atlanta or Philadelphia. 340 something which is you know real good to hit one team when you play so many times and Gene Mock would ch- do anything to try to get in your head so I come up I hit the play say hey Mike how you doing Mike Ryan uh, catching for the Phillies he said Mock told me to tell you what's coming so he said here comes curveball he throws me I wasn't a guess hitter I look for fastball and Shag's umpire, Shag Crawford and he told me about four or five pitches in a row. And I said, Shag, it's time to shut up. I don't need any help with this team. You know, because he's getting me confused. And Shag said, he's not doing anything against the rules. I can't. What am I, what's, what am I supposed to say? So the first three times up, I mean, he told me every pitch. I mean, I didn't know whether to wind my ass or scratch my watch. I was mixed up. OK, and I'm swinging the, you know, I'm doing this, doing that. So it's was a fourth time up. It's a tie game, one-to-one. there's a man on first to two outs. He said, I'm going to throw you a curveball. So I stepped down and said, I'm going to look for a curveball. So I got back and he said, I'm still going to throw you that curveball. And I hit it off the scoreboard. Okay, and we won the game two to one. Now the next day, we got a little pregame reigns. We didn't get any batting practice. So I'm leading off the game again. I come up and I hit the plate and I look back at Mike. And uh, he looks up at me and he said, Mock told me to tell you to go screw yourself. And Mock's okay. over and going like this. But he tried to get in my head, and he did for three at bats. But that's we had fun that way. I mean, this I knew what he was trying to do, and uh, you know, it's like you're you're sitting here and you're hitting and you're looking for a fastball, and a guy's saying, "Well, here comes a curve, here comes a slider." You don't know if he's lying or not, and just be quiet. I mean, I don't want to know. You know, I, I'm not going to put like horses sure. and put cotton in my ear where I
0: can't hear. So it's just gamemanship, I guess you'd call it. You mentioned the umpire, Shag Crawford. You had another experience with him. One time you're walking up to the plate and you see him crouched well, over thing. You looked like he was in pretty This was over pain, in right? Cincinnati. I mean, this
1: is over in Cincinnati, and, and, and I come up the second time up, and it's 98 in the shade, humidity is 96, and Shag is, I mean, he's as white as a ghost. And uh, Shag is down on one knee, and I said, Shag, you all right? He said, just swing the bat. I said, what? He said, I don't care if he rolls it up there, I'm calling strikes. I said, Shag, what's the problem? He said, say again, he stinks, he's belching, he's farting, and it's all staying at home plate. And Shag was so sick, it was a fast game I ever played in an hour, 48 minutes. Really? <laughs> yeah. He told everybody, swing the bat. <laughs> so this couldn't happen today because of all the commercials. But
0: Shaxton, swing that bat, I don't care if he rolls it up there, he's calling strikes. We talk about different times, not only in baseball, back when you were playing in your early days, but uh, you know also socially. Uh, one of your few friends early on with the Reds, who was a teammate, was Hall of Famer Frank Robinson. and. At some point, Reds management called you into the front office and expressed concerns well, over your no, associations was, with It was Frank Robinson
1: and Vader Pinson. I was just a kid. And, uh, you know, most of the white fellows on the team didn't think I was going to make the team. And I did make the team. And uh, I don't want to say they resented me, but it was a real cliquish type team. And, uh, you know, the Reds went to the World Series in 61 and 1962. Don game was the second baseman, and he had 281, which is a pretty good year for a second baseman. So because of that, 63, they come back to spring training, they think they got a chance to win, and Fred Hutchison, the manager, takes this young, brash, young second baseman by the name of Pete Rose and sticks him in the lineup. And Frank and Veda and and, and Jesse Gonder and people like that, the the African-Americans on the team, Associated with me, and they were they were friendly to me, and they, they tried to help me become a better player. And what better player can teach you how to play baseball than Frank Robinson? And Veda Pinson was a great player too. And and uh, the Reds called me in the office and said I was hanging with the African American players too much. And I, I didn't care. I didn't care what color you was. What was your reaction to that? I, you know, I'm from Cincinnati. I said I don't I don't care. Who, who cares? I said, uh, you know. Uh, Eddie Casco don't want to go out with me, John Edwards don't want to go out with me, Uh, JaGordy Coleman don't want to go out with me, Uh, Gene Freeze don't want to go out with me. They're nice guys, but uh, uh, they'd rather go out with a blasting game. Uh, Frank Robinson would take me out to eat, or Veda Penson would take me out to eat. And uh, that's why I hung around with him.
0: How about the first time you met Satchel Paige? Uh, Satchel Paige, yeah, well,
1: in those days I was just a kid, and uh, we played in San Francisco a day game, one o'clock, and we got to L.A. like six, seven, and I went to watch the Dodgers play. I mean, I was, you know, I'm not going to do anything else. I'm just a kid, in the big leagues enjoying it. So I went out to the clubhouse, and Jim Muley was the clubhouse guy, great clubhouse guy. And uh, I'm leading the league in hitting. I'm leading the league in hitting at the time. It's like my third or fourth year. I don't know what, what year it was. But I still was so involved in baseball. I went to go to the games, even though I played a day game in San Francisco that night. I went to go watch the Braves play, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the Dodgers. And this guy's got these glasses on. He's sitting in there, and he's got an egg salad sandwich. He's eating, and it's all over his face like this. And, and I'm sitting there, and, and I shake hands with him. And, I, and he said, oh, he said, you're here to watch the, the Dodgers or the Braves? I said, no, I'm here just to watch the game. He, says, he said, I'm Satchel Paige. He says, uh, uh, are you a friend of Jim Muey's? I said, no. I said, I said yeah, I'm a friend of his. I'm, I'm Pete Rose. He says, oh, you're a friend of his, huh? He didn't know I was leading the league in hitting. He didn't know how it was. I'm Satchel Paige. My well, only we encounter with Satchel Paige. Really? I'm leading the league in hitting, didn't know who I was and didn't care. God bless him. But he loved that egg sandwich. Yeah. I shook hands. I had eggs out all over my
0: hand and all over my wrist. But he, he made that sandwich look good, though. When you just look at the game from a contract perspective, I think Sandy Koufax was the highest paid player at one point making $130,000 a year. But players, they didn't have agents negotiating. No, as contracts. Matter of fact, the Reds,
1: the Reds were the last team that uh, allowed representation on your behalf to come in the office. Right, and you every were really- other team was like that. But uh, you know, the the Reds had it their way for a long time. Imagine, you're a 22-year-old kid, you're sitting here negotiating your contract, and you got the farm director there, you got the assistant general manager there, you got the general manager there. And you got the president team
0: there, and there's no free agency no, no either. Free so agency. you're it's largely it's at the it's mercy it's of it. the owner's generosity. Yeah, absolutely right. And uh, uh, it was tough
1: in them days. I mean, the owners had it all their own way. It's it's not quite like that today. But uh, they knew they had you because what else you're going to do? You're going to play ball. You're going to play ball. I mean, I held out every year because I one one reason I held out every year because uh, I knew I normally had good years. And secondly, uh, spring training is too long. I, the only thing good about spring training was going to the dog track. That's the only thing good about it. I mean, it was just I don't need six weeks of spring training. Pitchers may need that much, but I didn't need that much. I needed two and a half, three weeks. I mean, I, I thought that spring training was a waste of money for a lot of organizations. Paying us per diem and for meal money and hotel accommodations and stuff like that. I, I just always still do think spring training is too long. You see, it, it really today it's too long because most, not all the players today have their own gurus working with them all year round. We didn't have no, nobody working with
0: us all year round. How do we, we stay in shape play basketball? We had a basketball team. And you also likely had a second job too where yeah. many of the players did. Yeah, sure. and I played tennis and basketball. That's how I stayed in shape. You ever wonder if you were in your prime today what you'd be making?
1: Well, I don't know what I'd be making, but whatever the top dollar is, I'd be making, because I because I'd never lost an arbitration, because I always even a, even a bad year for, was a good year for me.
0: Your 44-game hit straight National League record. Right. Uh, I would imagine you were uh, a little disappointed you didn't break DiMaggio's 56-game. No, straight, at this but- point
1: I didn't get 45. I okay. mean, if I got to 55, uh, then i I'd, I'd have worried about that. But uh, no, it was. Uh, I like my hitting streak because it did a lot for baseball. It did a lot of good for baseball. It, brought, it got a lot of pa- fans involved listening to the game of baseball. I remember my buddy told me it was at the Sarasota Dog Track on a Friday night. And he said, we got good news and bad news This was on a Friday night. He said, the good news is we got a matinee tomorrow along with the, the night racing. He said, the bad news was Pete Rose's hitting streak ended the night in Atlanta. So that's a dog track in Sarasota, Florida. And I know Ted Turner was rooting for me to, uh, to go longer because the next day before it ended, he sold 26,000 tickets walk-up. And the day it ended, he sold 30,000 walk-up. So if I did, you know, because in those days, Atlanta didn't have much of a team. They were drawing six 7,000 people. Now all of a sudden, the hitting streak's on, and he's doing 35,000.
0: So Ted Turner made a lot of money on that hitting streak. Back in the day, before you signed a professional contract, your Mm -hmm. Mm uncle—he was a scout for the Reds. Right? Had he not begged essentially the organization to sign you, what do you think the likelihood? Well, I don't think he. I don't think he.
1: you're right. I don't think he begged the organization. What he did is he knew that everybody in my family, male-wise, matured physically late. I was aggressive, and I was a good player, but he knew I would grow you know because I, I you know I, I had i looked like someone was going to grow into a body and i did how about the role your father played in your passion for sports everything i mean everything i'm just i'm just my dad in the next generation with a bigger and better opportunity he had to work i mean he, he
0: raised back in the 30s and 40s what did he teach you about how to handle yourself on the athletic field no
1: everything i mean he was a banker at the Fifth Third Union Trust Company in Cincinnati and he, he, uh, he approached his work like I did baseball, punctual dedication, don't miss work, play every day, try to do a good job, pr- uh, apply yourself the right way.
0: Those are all talents that are uh, instilled in me by my dad. Your hit number 4192, fans erupt into an ovation that lasts something like nine minutes long. You start crying. What led to those emotions? It took nine minutes to do it. I mean, if it had been seven minutes, I wouldn't have cried, OK?
1: But what happens is, uh, when you're out in the middle of the diamond and you're they're there for that length of a time, now, uh, I don't think anybody watching you and I talk right now, I could be wrong about this, but I don't think anybody watching you and I talk has been part of a 9 minute day innovation. You know how long nine minutes is for people to stand and clap? It's an eternity. So what happens in that, part, in that time? You know, you start thinking about the, you're enjoying it and all of a sudden you, you appreciate it and, and, and it happened. And then all of a sudden you start thinking about people who were responsible for you being there that aren't there. And in my case, <clears throat> it was my high school coach, my little league coach, my uncle who signed me, my dad who mentored me, they're all gone. They can't be part of the celebration. And that's what brings tears to your eyes. And you look up and you just, I just saw my dad when I looked up and that's what brought tears to my eyes. Uh, it's probably the same thing that happens to guys when they go to the Hall of Fame. I mean, that's it seems like I had iced tea would have to people who were there that night. And uh, you know, I, I kind of brought a town together, being from that town. And, and that hit made, meant a lot to a lot of people in that town. I wasn't the only guy who cried in that stadium that night. Believe
0: me when I tell you. You also wrote in your book, quote. I always lived by one hard and fast rule. You don't bet on baseball. But for the first time in my life, I was no longer playing baseball. Even though you were managing, what impact did no longer playing baseball have on how you viewed betting on the game? I, I just, uh, I needed something extra. I lost the edge of getting those at-bats and,
1: and uh, being competitive. So you know, I was wrong, but the best way to be competitive for me was betting my own team to win every night.
0: How often would you bet on the Reds? every night? Every night, I bet on my team to win. Every single
1: game every you played. Night, it? Every night that my team played, I bet on my team to win. But why would you do it two, three, two times a week? Then you're trying to
0: set a pattern in. Did you ever bet on baseball while you were still playing? No, no, and that's never been documented. I didn't need
1: anything then. I didn't need. I didn't. I, did, I didn't need anything extra then. I mean, I think everybody in the world understands that. I know I screwed up and I made mistakes. And you may disagree with that, but uh, it, it's it's not important for this interview. And maybe you could explain to me where it is, and I'll listen to you. But uh, I, I just. Uh I don't. I don't think it's worth.
0: Well, I mean, I think the part of it that's relevant isn't so much. It's in the book, so anybody
1: wants to know, it's in the book, and uh, you're not going to have any reaction from anybody different today than because, to be honest with you, most people are, are like me. Get over it. It happened. There's nothing you can do to change it. I didn't break up the Beatles. Okay. I didn't shoot JFK.
0: Okay. Well, no. After all, though, it is a profile interview and it's part of your life. So how about this? Maybe this is a more fair question. What, what message would you have to somebody who's presently a gambling addict and knows deep down they want to stop but are unsure how to? Well,
1: first of all, I don't know anything about that because uh, uh, I always thought I was in control. You know, that, that all of a sudden it sounds to me like you're saying I'm an addict. Where do you, I don't know where you got that at. I mean, uh, well, I, I mean, you, because I gambled, on am an addiction addict? in your book. Well, I, I didn't say I was an addict. I, th- I think I could control what I was doing. I just uh, I was wrong and I got caught. <laughs> and if you're an addict, go get help.
0: But, but I mean, I, you know,
1: I, I actually went to uh, some gambling anonymous classes, and I sat there for three or four of them, and I'm I'm trying to figure out what I have in uh, similarities to these other people who are there, and I could never find anything. And it just, uh, it just seems like uh, it wasn't the right place for me because I, I, you know, I didn't take my last dime and go bet it. I mean, I, I, I was in control. I knew what I was doing. What would being in the Hall of Fame mean to you? You know, I look at it like this. That uh, My friends know what kind of player I was. My teammates know what kind of player I was. Uh, my fans know what kind of player I was. My family knows what kind of player I was. All my managers know what kind of player I was. Uh, and you don't need a Hall of Fame plaque
0: to, 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 to prove that to them. How do you think the majority, though, of the current Hall of Famers living today oh, feel I don't, about I don't worry about inducted. that. I mean, it, you know, you don't
1: want to get into that situation because uh, I didn't do anything wrong as a player. N- nothing. The mistake I made was when I was a manager. So it has nothing to do with my playing career. All those 4256 hits and all those 2,000 runs and everything else I did, I did as a player. And the last time I checked, and I could be wrong, that the Hall of Fame is about stats. I know most of the guys in the Hall of Fame, and there, there's not a bunch of altar boys up there. Uh, if you think that if I went to the Hall of Fame, I'm the only guy there with a skeleton in my closet, uh, I think you're pissing up a rope. How
0: would you describe the place you're at in life now? Oh, I don't know. If I dropped dead tomorrow, I had a real good life. If I had my whole
1: life to go over again, I'd change one thing. I wouldn't have been on baseball. That's the only thing in my life I'd have changed. I wouldn't have changed my approach. I wouldn't have changed my dedication, anything like that. I can't sit here and say, man, I wish I could have got 10 more hits. Or I wish I could have hit four more home runs. I, 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 I left it all out there. I left, it, I left it on the field. I left it all out there. And I think that's what people remember.
0: November 25th, 2002 was when you had the meeting in Commissioner Selig's office. It was very cordial. I mean, the guy's a fan. I mean, the guy was very nice to me,
1: and Mike Schmidt was there. And then when they left, and Bud and I was one-on-one, and only he knows what was said and I know what was said. I really had a good feeling about being reinstated when I left that office. And something happened, I don't know what happened,
0: when I left that office what was said when it was just you and the commissioner in the office well I'm not going to tell you that so I asked him it
1: was like I said the meeting was very cordial and we're both great baseball fans and we both care about the game and we both understand I made a mistake uh, but there again uh, I just told him everything I did I just, I told him everything that transpired, I mean, I did, no, no, no hold back, just uh, tell him everything. And uh, I told him, I said, I, I told him, thanks for giving me a chance to get this monkey off my
0: back. I've been carrying around for 10, 12 years. Of the 17 players who've been banned from baseball, no, none have ever been reinstated. Right. In your opinion, well, what do you think the likelihood okay, is you'll be Okay, my next reinstated? question.
1: Since you asked me that question, I'll ask you the question. How many of the 17 have ever applied? None. OK, so that answers your question. Do I, think, do I think I'm going to be reinstated? I don't know. Uh, but I, can, and I can't answer why the other 16 didn't re, reapply for reinstatement. Joe Jackson never applied for reinstatement. Or the other 16 guys that you're, you're, you're talking about.
0: Were they offered the ability to I don't know. Reapply? The, okay.
1: You know, you got Joe Jackson. The people compare him to me. Well, the last time I checked, he took money to throw games in a World Series. I bet on my own team to win. So, Big-ass difference in those two scenarios right there. What would you want to do if you were reinstated? What would I want to do? I, I, only, do, I only want to do one thing. I, I, I want to manage a baseball team. And I said this before, and, I don't, and, I, and I'm try, not trying to be Aaron or cocky, but if you want to put people in the stands and win, call me. And If you don't want to put people in the stands, and if you don't want to win, don't waste your phone call on me. Because those are the the utmost things a manager should think about
0: winning and putting people in the stands and winning usually puts people in the stands one pitcher called you the best two strike hitter he ever saw i think you only struck out once every 12 at bats that's 35 times per season meaning you put the ball in play something like yeah, well, 600 and yeah well you times. have to uh,
1: listen uh, the only way you can't get on first base is if you strike out and, and very uh, very seldom you strike out and the catcher and misses the ball you shorten up to the standpoint that you had to hit the ball. And uh, uh, I don't know if I could play today the way these guys are playing. And there's some great players out there today, but there's too many guys striking out 180 times a year. I mean, uh, if you bet 550 and you strike out 180 times, you're only hitting the ball 300 sometimes
0: every year. Why do you think guys are striking out so much? Because all
1: they want to do it? is hit home runs because that's where the money comes from. You know, baseball made a an evaluation back after the strike at 94, 95, whichever that year, the year was, and they wanted to bring the people back to the ballpark. So the way they did that, one, they juiced up the ball. There's no question the ball's juiced up. Two, all the new ballparks, with the exception of a couple, are band boxes. Those are pitcher's ballparks. Uh, three, umpires won't call strikes today. The strike zone should be from here to here in the rule book. It says from the knee to the armpit. I think most strike zones are like right here. I mean, and I never thought I'd ever get on a camera and defend pitchers, but we don't do anything to help pitching today, nothing. We don't do anything to help pitchers. Everything is for the hitter, because baseball
0: determined that the way they get the people back was the long ball. So it's essentially for economic reasons? Yeah, sure was. Your home plate collision with catcher Ray Fossey, uh, all-star games, or you Somewhat differently now by players, but even then you took some criticism for that hit. But what people may not know, there was no bad blood between not you and the catcher. No. There was no ill will, the, I believe. You'd gone him, out with him I, like I, the I, night before. Yeah, See. I
1: took him out the night before. The only bad press I got, or the only bad fan mail I got, was from America League fans. Okay? Now, I could be 100% wrong on this, Graham, but here's my philosophy on that. Your obligation to the fans is to bust your ass and play as hard as you possibly can. That's your obligation to the people who paid for the ticket. And players today have to understand that because the only time you're going to get hurt playing an all-star game today is if you play not to get hurt. That's when you're going to get hurt. Does, you mean to tell me if it's an all-star game, you can't throw a fastball inside, you're just scared you might hit a guy on the wrist?
0: Doesn't work that way. But it kind of seems, to some extent, that's what it becomes. You're right. There's some players that play hard
1: because it means something. I mean, you know, there was no interleague play, so, you know, I'm I'm one of these guys, and I'm gonna sit here and tell you the National League is buried in the American League, and if if this was Carl Yastrzemski, he'd say the American League is buried in the National League, and how and the only and the only way we could settle in those days was All Star games, and we won 16
0: out of 17. We were. Uh, talking about steroids in the earlier portion of this past decade was when Major League Baseball first came out with their rule. The two sides of that argument are while Major League Baseball first banned it in the early 2000s, in reality steroids were illegal without a prescription beginning in the early 1990s. So are you from well, the school that- Well wait a minute. were they illegal in our country? Without a prescription beginning in the early 1990s. So theoretically, baseball doesn't have to ban steroids when they're already. Well, let me ask you without this, a let prescription. Let me, right?
1: let me be stupid and ask this question. If George Foster hit 50 home runs in 1977. Then all of a sudden in 1997, you have two guys that beat Roger Maris with 61 home runs. And one guy hit 70, and another guy hit 66 after 20 years. Then all of a sudden three or four years later a guy hits 73. Now at what time does the light go off in your head to think something unusual is going on? When it takes 20 years for a guy and it takes 20 years for a guy to never lead the league in home runs and hit over 63 times and never lead the league in home runs. When does the red light come on that either the ballparks are too small or the balls are juiced or the athlete that used to weigh 210, weighs 240 now in one year. Is there any kind of light that goes on in anybody's eyes? When did you first realize something was going on? When my son told me he played against Martin McGuire in St. Louis, and he said, Martin McGuire hit one in batting practice that come within two rows going out of Busch Stadium. Now, that's just not normal. It's not normal for a guy to be able to hit a ball that far. You know, when you see these guys, and I know these guys work out, but when you see these guys go from here to there, and then all these players start breaking down. If you're on top of your game, you can just see what's happening. But I, I could see what was happening. I have no say. I have
0: no say in the game of baseball. What do you think the primary reason for the offensive explosion was or is? You mean, why, they, why all the home runs are being hit so far? Sure. Because Especially guys, because guys were doing 1990s. illegal things.
1: Guys were doing illegal things.
0: Barry Bonds, when his name became a linked a good to performance-enhancing drugs, how did that impact how you viewed his achievements? No,
1: it didn't, it, it didn't impact me at all, because uh, Barry's a friend of mine, uh, and I think till this day, Barry said he didn't use them.
0: It didn't knowingly. Okay. Well, uh, who am I to say Barry's
1: lying? I mean, uh, you know, and I might have a different, uh, I might have a different philosophy on that if he got forty-one, forty-two, fifty-seven. You know, because I know how hard I worked to get my record. It's a shame you can't ask Hank Aaron that that question. Wonder what Hank would say. I don't know. I don't know what Hank would say. Barry did something that's very unusual to do, and. I can contest that because I went through it. It's very hard to dominate any major league sport once you become over 40, okay, but he did. And uh, he's seven times most valuable player.
0: Barry Bonds a great ball player. I've interviewed you a couple times before and the one thing I realized that we never spoke about were some of the real rich entertaining stories that you write about in the book, one of which was, you got invited to go on a morale-boosting mission with Joe DiMaggio to Vietnam. I get a
1: call from the State Department, said, Do you want to go to Vietnam? I said, not necessarily. He said, well, Joe DiMaggio's going, I said, I'll go, put me down. And uh, I spent 22 days with Joe, and we were, we, we, were, we were down where the war was going on. I mean, you know, we're not downtown
0: Saigon, we're out in the middle of the jungle. I understand you also had the dubious honor of uh, showering Joe DiMaggio. Oh, yeah. I gave him a shower one night. What happened is, uh, we're out in the middle of the
1: jungle, and, and it's a damn hot. You can't sleep. And all you can hear is boom, 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 boom. And you're up on the hill. There's a valley, another hill. And you can see the every fourth bullet out of the helicopters is a tracer. You know, we're, we're watching this war go on. And Joe wants to take a shower. I said, Joe? said, we're not downtown Saigon, he said, I don't give a damn, I'm Joe DiMaggio, we gotta take a shower, I'm gonna take a shower. And the only way you could take a shower is they had this bad, big bamboo thing, and he, there's a string here, and someone's gotta get on a chair and feed the water and pull the string and the water comes through. And I was the guy that did that for Joe DiMaggio. So I saw everything Marilyn saw. <laughs> and you told all your friends about it? I told every, every one of my friends. I said, the best way to describe Joe DiMaggio it's a penis with a man hanging from it.
0: <laughs> How did you wind up holding onto the luggage rack on a roof of a car that oh, wait, was driving just, 70 just, miles an hour? Nah, we, the we were only going
1: 50, we, we were in the town, it, it, to break the monotony, man. We used to travel, uh, that was in Macon, uh, for the Macon Peaches, and the way we traveled is we had six guys in three different station wagons. We didn't have a bus, and we didn't fly. and. Just to screw around with the guy, so I, I and I used to sit out the back. Uh, me and me and Art would sit out the back with our feet like this, you know, for four or five hundred miles, looking at the headlights behind us. So one day we we slowed down in this area, and I just got up and you know, I went over and I, I I got up on the uh, the rack put my hand
0: over the windshield and scared the hell out of the driver. <laughs> Just screwing around. You also figured out a way to get uh, free long-distance calls in the minor leagues. Oh, yeah. Well, uh, Art Shamsky,
1: my buddy, I mean, we, we stayed at the YMCA, and he dated this girl named Ann who worked at uh, uh, the telephone tel- uh, the telephone company. And she used to put us through every night, the long-distance calls. And he he, he dated her. She had one tooth in her head. <laughs> but he dated her whole summer. Just you get us free phone calls. He, and because you he took one for the team, too, right? he
0: took one for the team. Yeah, it was funny. <laughs> when you were a manager, one of your players, Paul O'Neill, was uh, called out at first, but he well, was first of all, you have to understand that Paul was O'Neill was a yeah. great
1: player. He was such a uh, an aggressive guy. He complained about everything. I mean, it could be three and zero, oh, and if he borderline and he called a strike, he, oh. Paul, you got two left, don't worry about it. First inning, and he, he, he hits one uh, second base in backhands and throws. He's out this far, which is not close in baseball. This is close in baseball, not this. And I don't need him kicked out of the game. I need to win the game. So I go out and I tell Tony, get him away from me. Get him away from me. And, and Jerry Crawford's umpiring, Shag's son. And I looked at Jerry, and I said, that was the best damn call I ever seen in my life. But you know how this guy is, he bitches at everything. And Jerry says, "I know. Now get off the fear. I'm going to kick your ass out of the game." I said, "That's exactly what I want you to do." So he do you know, kick me out of the game. So after the game, Larkin and O'Neill were sitting in there talking, and Paul says, "Barry he says, you know, that's the way a manager should stick up for his players, like he did for me tonight." <laughs> he read that my book, and he got mad at me. Really? <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs>
0: Thanks for listening to the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Graham Bensinger and visit grahambensinger.com for TV times in your area. Also, don't forget to check out our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Bensinger for hours of extra content. If you enjoyed this episode, please give us a rating and review on iTunes or wherever else you listen. This has been the In-Depth with Graham Bensinger podcast.